So no one said the Nets were gonna be this way ERA's a joke for broke, the bullpen's DOA The Metcon level stuck in second gear It clearly hasn't been their day, the week, the month, or even their year But the fundies are here for you Open the mailbag every time Congratulations, you've got good fundies on August 22nd, 2018. My name is Brian Mangan, and boy do we have a show for you tonight. I have been sitting at this desk trying to record this episode of Good Fundies for already over two hours, and uh, we have not even gotten into the intro yet because uh, we have had some technical difficulties. Now, initially, we were supposed to have two guests on tonight's episode. I figured that since it was my first episode going solo that I would... Uh, do my best to put together uh, an all-star cast to try and pick up some of the slack. Uh, we were going to have Mike Mayer and Rich McLeod on, but unfortunately, I was trying to figure out how on earth do you record from your microphone and through Skype at the same time, and I was unsuccessful in that task, so I'm, I had to let Mike Mayer go. Um, he's great. We've tried to have him on before. Uh, you know, There were scheduling issues, and then actually he was supposed to be the guest uh, the week that um, the week before Roger left the podcast, so we actually had to cancel him then. Uh, Mike, if you're out there, if you're listening, I promise, I promise, we're going to have you on. Uh, as for the interview with Rich McLeod, Rich actually uh, volunteered to help me figure this out, and he and I sat together for another uh, thirty minutes and discussed, um, you know, different ways of technically getting things, uh, you know, running here. <laughs> when I was on. With Mike Mayer, I actually, I listen, first of all, I tried recording through Skype. Then I went and I bought software. I bought this like $20 software. I was like desperate. I had a guy waiting on the phone. I was like, don't worry, I'm going to fix this for you. And so I downloaded this thing. It cost 20 bucks. Did not work at all. Uh, tried a different program called Super Tin Tin. That also didn't work. Uh, but Rich McLeod came to the rescue. I was canceling on him I, and apologized for not being able to do it tonight. And he said, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. Let me try and help. So thank you, Rich. Um, we recorded a 40-minute interview together. Uh, God willing, you guys will actually be able to hear that. But for now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to record the introduction. I'm going to uh, uh, introduce Rich. I'm going to leave a space, which will hopefully be for where his interview will go. And then I will tackle the mailbag as usual. So... Here we are. It is the first time I am trying to record uh, an episode of Good Fundies flying solo. Uh, the technical issues I knew were going to be there. I didn't think they were going to be quite this bad. Uh, I figured the difficulty would be in actually recording, but uh, nonetheless, the show must go on. So it has been an incredible week in Mets baseball. Um, actually, it's been an incredible two weeks in Mets baseball. I, for one, have been all around the world, so I have not really had the chance to watch too many games. Uh, I was in Ireland last week, which is pretty incredible um, of an experience. It was also nice to be uh, be away from, you know, the the Mets and be away from Twitter for a little bit. I did not buy the internet from my phone, so I was blissfully disconnected. Um, but then when I got back, I decided that listen this this Mets fan thing that we have this this illness <laughs> that we all share together. 
led me to, well, do nothing other than immediately go to Philadelphia to watch the Mets game. So uh, as I record here on Tuesday night, the 21st, uh, this past Saturday, uh, me and my girlfriend went down to Philadelphia. It was my first time ever in Citizens Bank Park. And we were there, luckily, um, just fortunate. I feel like I've seen a disproportionate number of awesome games in person. Uh, you know, maybe the team I root for isn't so good, but if I can be lucky and keep seeing incredible games in person or on my birthday or what have you, I, I guess I can't complain too much. But we were there for Jacob deGrom's third career complete game uh, performance, and it was called by Keith Hernandez. Uh, as I watched the broadcast last night, uh, one of the best games he's seen pitched, um, and one of the best games that any Met has pitched in a long time. In fact, it's been about a year since any Met pitched a complete game since the last, uh, of course, aforementioned Jacob deGrom also pitched a complete game. Uh, shot down the Phillies. They had, they had pretty much their A lineup out there. Uh, most of the big boys were out there for the game. It was a Saturday afternoon 4 p.m. game. And DeGrom was dominant. He came out dealing from the beginning, uh, even from where I was sitting, my vantage point in the stadium. He looked like he was dealing. Uh, Arietta was also, uh, his, his counterpart, Jake Arietta was pitching pretty well as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Jake just mowed him down. He actually continued to do so, even through a rain delay. So there was a, about a 20 to 40, I think it might have been closer to 40-minute rain delay in the middle of the game. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, you know, me and the, the folks, I, I made friends that was sitting around at Citizens Bank Park. And we all were kind of concerned that Jake might not come out after the 40 minutes, or even if he did, might not go all the way. But he did, in fact, go all the way. Uh, I think he finished with around 115 pitches or so. And was just uh, simply fantastic. Mezzarocco homered. Um, and it was, it was a neatly played game, which finished up, <laughs> actually finished in, I think, just over three hours despite the rain delays, so uh, that was a, a crisp game, and then the Mets shipped off for Williamsburg and the Little League Classic the next day. Uh, one more fun fact about that weekend, and this is a true story, is that we booked last second to go down to Philadelphia, so as I, I'm taking a sip here of uh, some bourbon. I deserve it. It's been a long night, and I haven't even recorded the podcast yet, but um we booked a last second to go down to Philadelphia. As I mentioned, we had come back from Ireland, and um, I had been like really nagging her to go with me to a game. I had never been to Citizens Bank Park before. It is uh, really beautiful. Um, you know, kind kind of reminiscent of some of the other ballparks I've been to. I think perhaps the novelty of the of the new ballpark has worn off. But I'm not going to complain. Great sight lines, really fun, uh, very scenic view of the city. Um, so pretty good ballpark overall. But uh, we booked a place in, in the city, which I won't say exactly where, and we went to McFadden's after the ball after the ball game. Got a beer, hung out for a little bit, talked for about 45 minutes or an hour after the game, headed back to the hotel, and what do we see but a series of barricades uh, outside uh, in the front of the hotel with a couple of people lined up, uh, a young kid in a Mets jersey holding a scorecard, a couple older guys holding books, looking like they were waiting for something. Lo and behold, the Mets were actually staying at the same hotel as me. So uh, we were, had gotten there just in time. Uh, we got there about five minutes before the bus, so we decided to wait outside and, and see all the players. And I got to say, um, it was a pretty cool experience. Uh, despite having been in Major League Clubhouses before and having been around players before, 
it was still cool to kind of see them in their element. Um, there's something about their off, off-screen, off-field personas that is interesting. You see who hangs out with who, who's friendly, who's not, uh, who's in the zone. Um, of course, you know, anyone can be on or off on any given day. It doesn't necessarily have to stop uh, at the barricade to talk to anyone or sign anything. Uh, but some players, obviously, better than others. Uh, and it was, it was cool. It was really cool to see them. DeGrom had driven back uh, with his family. He had pitched that day, so I guess he got to go separately. And then uh, the rest of the gang filtered in off the bus. I actually managed to have a you know couple-minute conversation with Josh Lewin <laughs> as he was uh, exiting the bus. I, I didn't feel like bothering any of the players, but uh, Lewin came off um, in, in a kind of lull in the traffic between some players and others and I said you know hey Josh and he was excited I guess or surprised maybe that someone knew who he was and I said hey man uh, I'm good fundies I'm one of the good fundies guys and he actually came over and uh, I introduced myself and I introduced my girlfriend and we had a uh, a pretty good conversation about you know just uh, I guess appreciating each other's presences he was very gracious with his time Uh, and then after that I got Jeff McNeil to sign my Noah Syndergaard jersey. So a little confusing, uh, both to me and whoever uh, I think this jersey comes into the possession to in the future. Like, why the heck is there a Jeff McNeil signature on a Noah Syndergaard jersey? But uh, nonetheless, he was gracious enough to stop. Uh, it was the actually the day of his first ever career triple uh, in the major leagues. So, Jeff, you and I will always have that. So... That, that's just my tangent about what I've been up to the last couple of weeks and, and my, my run-in with the Mets. Oh, also, uh, Noah Syndergaard and I had uh, dinner at the same restaurant that night, which was, I mean, I guess there's not too much to do within walking distance of the hotel in Philly, but uh, yeah, we were in the same place, and that's cool, too. It was just a really cool weekend. But the Mets. Oh, the Mets, the Mets. What are we going to do about the Mets? After a victory tonight, the Mets sit 55-70. and 70. Uh, That's a 440 winning percentage there, 15 games back. Of the Braves, who are in first place, the Phillies a game and a half behind them. Uh, although despite being 55-70, and 70, the Mets continue to do infuriating things. Um, we are actually going to discuss this if, uh, as I mentioned, God willing, you are able to hear the Rich McLeod interview. Uh, we have a pretty long discussion about the Mets and about their public-facing statements and uh, about the effect that's going to be having this year and beyond in terms of their player evaluation and what happens in 2019. Uh, but for now, what the Mets continue to do is, despite this being a completely lost season, they continue to run out a lineup. Uh, I'll just use the lineup for tonight that had uh, Jose Bautista, Austin Jackson, and Jose Reyes all playing while, uh, for instance, guys like Dom Smith are on the bench. Uh, Jeff McNeil has been scrapping for starts despite the fact that he's now hitting 326 on the season, which is out of control. Uh, and guys like Peter Alonso are in the minors. Luis Guillorme is in the minors. Tomas Nito is in double A. Uh, there are young players who are going to be a part of this Mets team for years to come, and the Mets are missing the opportunity to evaluate them because they're playing guys who they... Uh, you know, first of all, guys who are 36, 37 years old. Uh, in, in the case of Bautista, I think he's 36. Reyes, I think, is 34 or 35. Um, and regardless of what age they are, like Austin Jackson is actually, I think, just 31, uh, are not under team control for next year. So it's hard to say 
even what the logic is in doing that. Are they are they evaluating these guys to try and perhaps even bring them back next year? Is there a chance? And, and it has gotten absurd enough over the last four months with Jose Reyes still hitting under 200 for the year to think that it is possible that they might actually be auditioning to bring him back for 2019. It was uh, at once it was unthinkable, um, but sometimes things become so absurd that um, you know the regular rules of logic go out the window. So it is possible that Reyes might come back and they might be giving him a chance to hit his way out of his season-long hole. If you recall, last year in 2017, Reyes was one of the worst players in the league in the first half and then was actually pretty decent in the second half and redeemed his numbers to look as if he had not had a completely horrendous uh, 2017 campaign. Uh, history is repeating itself uh, here so far in 2018, where in August he's actually having a pretty decent uh, go of things so far. I think he's slugging about 600 this month. But what are the Mets doing? Oh, I mean, they're they're not playing the players that are going to be on the team for a long time. And in one uh, incredibly notable example, and of course you probably know what I'm referring to already, uh, they are not playing him. They're sending him to AAA. They're bringing him up. They're sending him back down again. And they're asking him to play out of position. I'm speaking, of course, uh, none other than former first-round draft pick Dom Smith, who got into a... Uh, I don't even really know the right phrasing for this, but a uh, what is going to be, I am sure, an iconic image for years to come for this generation of young Mets prospects in uh, the play last night where Dom Smith and Ahmed Rosario collided in left field. So for those of you who didn't see it, I'm sure that most of you did, but for those of you who didn't see it, uh, it, was the, <laughs> it was the top of the 13th inning last night, I believe. Uh, and Tyler Bashler had gotten himself into some trouble and then had miraculously gotten two outs. I think there was a runner on third with no out, and then Bashler, uh, this is after a wild pitch uh, and an error, um, Bashler had gotten the next two guys out and then induced a pop-up into short left field, which is a no-man's land in between short and left. Ahmed backpedals out to get the pop-up. Dom Smith comes in on the ball. Uh, Dom Smith, of course, a first baseman by trade, a first baseman um, ever since he was drafted by the Mets at the tender age of 18 uh, and the last four years in the minor leagues. And Dom Smith comes in on the ball and looking up at the ball, I guess he does not see Ahmed Rosario. He is not experienced out there. Uh, he does call for the ball, but he does it at the very, very last second. Uh, Ahmed doesn't have a chance to get out of the way. The two players collide, the ball lands on the ground, and the Ultimately, what becomes the game-winning run uh, falls helplessly in front of Rosario. Uh, it is truly one of the Metsiest ways to lose. Uh, an error uh, with two outs in extra innings uh, is a Metsy way to lose. A collision uh, in the outfield is a Metsy way to lose. And sadly, uh, the most tragic part of all is the fact that it is involving a player, Dom Smith, who is being asked almost cruelly to play out of position uh, at the major league level uh, in, in a position he's not familiar with. He probably only has 40 or 50 games in left field in his career uh, and a position that, quite frankly, he's not suited for in the first place. Uh, when Dom Smith was drafted, he was widely regarded as a player who would have to hit a lot in order to make it worth it. Um, and he was also regarded as a player who was going to have, you know, a quote, bad body uh, and was going to be heavy 
and was going to struggle at any position other than first. Lo and behold, he has fulfilled all of those expectations. Uh, he's, you know, become a heavy guy. Uh, you really kind of hate to talk about something like that, but you know, that, that those are the facts. He's not fleet of foot. And, uh, you know, they're asking him to play in left field, which is embarrassing. And in some cases can be dangerous. Uh, and this is exactly the case where that happens. So Rosario and Smith collide and one must ask themselves, um, what are the Mets doing? What is the plan? It's, it's disheartening. Uh, it, I mean, it's one thing to have a bad team. There will always be bad teams. There will always be years where you are ravaged by injury and unexpected things happen. But as I discussed with Rich and I, I have talked with Roger on the podcast many times, the Mets don't seem to have a coherent plan for moving forward. Uh, and they don't put players in a position to succeed. It's hard to say what Dom Smith would turn out to be if he played for another franchise or if he was given different opportunities. Last year, the Mets didn't call up Dom Smith until the middle of August. I think we're probably around the anniversary. I think he was called up on August 15th last year. And that was not enough time for the Mets to fairly evaluate what he would be for the 2018 season. And and I've said this also many times too, and I don't think this can be said enough times. The Mets are 55 and 70 right now, and if they had made just a handful of decisions differently, they could have been above 500. They could have been in this race right now. Uh, they like to make public-facing statements to the media where they act like victims or they act like things were complete, uh, completely out of their control. But that is not the case. If the Mets had acted responsibly last year, if they had made smart trades last year, if they had evaluated their players last year, if you take your medicine when you're supposed to take it, you can change the course of, of your franchise. And the Mets didn't do that last year, and they're reaping the rewards right now. If the Mets had signed Lorenzo Cain and Jake Arrieta and given a proper audition to Dom Smith and made a couple smart trades, they would have been in it this year. So it is almost worse to know that. It is worse to, to uh, not be able to be secure in the knowledge that, oh, shucks, you know, it could have gone either way. Who knows? But in the Mets scenario, uh, they did not audition Dom Smith at first base for a long enough time last year to find out whether or not they had something in him, which meant they had to sign a stopgap like Adrian Gonzalez to play first. If they knew Smith was a bust, they could have replaced him with a real first base option, but they weren't sure, so they hedged. They kind of didn't really know what to do. That's kind of how you end up with a guy like Jay Bruce instead, who has, of course, been horrendous this year as well so they didn't know what to do with dom smith so now he's he's a first baseman in triple a with a double a first baseman who's a better prospect breathing down his neck in peter alonzo and who's blocked by a major league purportedly major league first baseman in adrian gonzalez so this poor kid who already has all the expectations on the world on him as a first round draft pick is now asked to play out of position and you'll never really know the ripple effect of that. You'll never know how things would have turned out if Dom was in another franchise, if he was given a fair chance. But what it appears, and I, I don't mean to make this sound like an obituary for his career as a Met, but this is the kind of thing that the tabloids don't easily forget and that fans don't easily forgive. And an image like that where one former top prospect collides with another former top prospect and, and or current uh, young star of the team 
uh, playing out of position is the kind of thing that sticks with you for a while. So the Mets truly metsed that situation up as much as they could. And uh, the, you know, the baseball gods decided to not sit idly anymore. And they sent a very, very clear image, uh, a very, very clear sign uh, of what was going wrong there. So that was last night. Uh, the Mets lost a game that they could and by all accounts should have won. Uh, but that is just the story of the 2018 season. So that brings me to uh, a bit of a news item. So as those of you who are on Twitter, and I understand most or many people who listen to this podcast, we have over a thousand listeners per episode now, which is really great. Uh, many people who listen to this podcast are not on Twitter and they may not be aware, but there's actually a group that has been agitating to try and, <clears throat> well, I'm not exactly sure uh, what their end game is. And I think they're trying to develop uh, a strategy and, and some other some other things as they go along. But they call themselves Mets Fans United. And they've been, you know, uh, uh, tweeting about this. They actually, they have a website right now. Uh, they had a conference call last week where they were announcing some plans and trying to recruit people. Uh, and they reached out to me. Uh, and I think they've reached out to a few other podcasts and, and, and blogs and things like that to try and tell folks what they're doing and what it's about and try and uh, inform the public and let people make their own decisions about whether or not they want to support them or not. So they gave me a statement. Uh, there's a couple of guys who are in charge of this, uh, a guy named Mark, a guy, uh, two guys named Tim, a guy named Corey uh, that have all reached out at different times in DMs and, and messages. And uh, they announced themselves all on that conference call the other day. But uh, I'm going to read the statement that they put together, and I would encourage you guys to check them out and see if you like what they're talking about. So without any further ado, this is what they sent to me um, to, as, as their pitch. Mets fans united is just what it sounds like. Mets fans united together towards a common goal. But towards what goal exactly? New York City is the biggest media market in the world, in the premier baseball town on the globe, and we deserve better than wishful thinking from ownership. But the Wilpons have been cutting costs and watering down their product for a decade. What we've been left with is an absolute laughingstock of a franchise to root for. We deserve a top five payroll and a commitment to winning. Mets Fans United is here to hold the organization accountable and to let them know with a single voice from thousands of fans that we demand better. We need to let them know that we're not just staying away from the ballpark because the team is bad. We're staying away because we know that the general manager doesn't have autonomy and that the baseball analytics guys get overruled at every turn. We're staying away because we know that a small market payroll won't cut it. Check out our website at www.metsfansunited.com for more information and let's go Mets. So that's the sum and substance of their statement. Um, all I can say is that although I'm not involved with it, I'm really interested. Uh, I mean, listen, those of you who have been listening to the podcast know that I've been, uh, upset with the direction of the franchise, their public facing statements, their, uh, desire to move away from analytics. There was actually a news article last week saying that the Mets we're considering going to a less analytically minded general manager in their search because they didn't like what happened under Sandy Alderson. Uh, you know, Rich and I talk about this in the interview, which I hope that you hear uh, about how 
about how they make these public-facing statements and that the media doesn't necessarily question them on it. They say, oh, well, darn, that's the story. I guess I'll report the story. Uh, this is one of those situations that is just so crazy to me because Sandy Alderson was maybe for his time when he, was, when he emerged as a general manager was uh, statistically oriented, but he is most certainly not in 2018. And even if he was... Uh, his recommendations were not being followed that much. So for the Mets to come out and say, first of all, that he was statistically oriented, and second of all, that that they've been looking at the losing over the last couple of years, and instead of looking inward, uh, instead of changing what they're doing, uh, they've decided to go for a general manager who doesn't understand statistics is a truly mind-boggling, flabbergasting, gobsmacking thing to hear in 2018 uh i'm astounded that they have the balls to say it but they did so i forget where i was going with that particular point because it's just so interesting but here is where i'm going to put in the interview with rich mcleod uh hopefully you guys can hear it hopefully i will be figuring out the tech for doing that uh, as soon as i get off uh, recording this and, and uploading the episode. But as I mentioned in my introduction to him, Rich McLeod is actually a good friend of the podcast. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, he used to work for MSG and MLB Advanced Media. Uh, he also had the blog Just Mets. Uh, he was on the podcast last year and we talked to him about his time uh, editing videos for MLB Advanced Media, which is a pretty cool thing, putting together highlight packages and things of that nature. Uh, and he also writes now about uh, about baseball. I mean, it's not his day job, but for fun, I guess this is considered fun for most of us. He writes for Baseball Prospectus at their Mets website, BP Mets. Uh, last time he came on, he wrote an article where he interviewed Ryan Church, which was really fascinating. And this time uh, he writes another article about the Mets. This one was called The Invention of Lying. Uh, and it's all about really exactly what the uh, what the franchise has been saying to the fans. So... Uh, without further ado, hopefully I will be able to do the interview right here. And then after that, I will come back with the mailbag. Okay. So we're, we're starting, um, somewhat media and res here. Um, but I would like to welcome, uh, for the first time, I guess, as I am, um, doing a solo podcast here for the first time, uh, but welcoming back a guest who has been on Good Fundies before, the one, the only, the wonderful Rich McLeod. I gave myself a little horn intro. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, once I get more technologically um, you know, comfortable, I might be able to put in some bells and whistles like we're used to, but for now, uh, the bare minimum, just a verbal uh, introduction with some compliments smattered in and and me going blah, blah, blah. yep so rich uh you cool. have been on good funnies before back for those people who don't know about rich uh he is a uh you know a wonderful member of the mets twitter community he is a formerly uh employee at mlb advanced media he worked at uh, or he blogged with michael Barron at just mets uh, and it's currently a writer for the Baseball Prospectus New York Mets site, uh, BP Mets. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good Mets resume you've got. Thank you. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of writing at a lot of different places about a lot of Mets 
stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I realized recently that I've been blogging about the Mets for almost a decade now. Good which is Lord. Startling, really. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long time. That's a lot of shenanigans to be blogging about. Yeah, well, I guess maybe one of the bright sides, though, is that you start to recognize patterns. You say, yeah. hey, this, this situation is a lot like that situation. And boy, I remember they lied about this eight years ago. This mm-hmm. sentence seems like that. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, this feels like 2009. This seems familiar. Yep, yep, what a pleasure. Mm-hmm. So first of all, most importantly, how you been? How, how, how have you been since uh, you were on the show last year in October, October oh, 31st, wow. 2017? I looked it up before we started. I was on Halloween. Was that actual Halloween? 31st? 31st Halloween. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> Do you not know when Halloween is? I literally don't know. <laughs> it's October 31st every year. Listen, man, I, it wasn't until forever. I was like 25, I, I realized Thanksgiving was always on a Thursday. <laughs> like holidays happen. Like they come up, they go in my calendar. I know when, generally when they are. <laughs> That's all I need to know. Man, you got to pay attention, man. Nah, it's okay. There's always someone around to tell me. I guess so. Like, yeah, me now. <laughs> hey, why the hell? Why is everyone dressed up like this today? Is <laughs> that today? Uh, actually, it might, it might have been posted on the 31st. So if it was after midnight, perhaps it was. Uh, uh, maybe that makes more sense. Oh, and another important Not note. that I would have been going out. <laughs> uh, another important note is that, that folks uh, who are tuning into this and God willing you are even hearing this interview um, mm-hmm. is that uh, I had some very, very serious technical difficulties tonight in trying to get this going. Um, oh, yes. We were supposed to have two guests on the show. Uh, we're supposed to have Mike Mayer and Rich McLeod tonight. I was going to give you guys a, a double treat, but mm-hmm. I was unable to figure out how <laughs> to connect to the Skype uh, so that it would record the person on the phone and me at the same time. So it's really been, um, I mean, that was an hour and a half ago. So just so you guys know how much I've been trying to get this work. Uh, and then Rich, of course, is now here to save the day. He has figured out a way to do it. He has volunteered to help. And uh, God willing, uh, somebody, someday people will hear this. I guess I have, uh, when it comes to audio recording, I have good fundies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. That's all I have. Uh, nice talking. Oh, well, it's been great. That's yeah, <laughs> it's been a great show. <laughs> all right. So we, we record this with a little bit of uh, not, not trepidation, but you know, you never know. Um, this may not ever reach air. So <laughs> if you hear this, it's already too late. <laughs> so what's the good news, Rich? What's the good news? The Mets are on right now. I'm not watching. I am also not watching, but that is just a continuation of what has been a lot of not watching over the last two months, probably. Uh, yeah, you know, we, you and I have not had a chance to talk about the Mets during the heady and optimistic times for the team. <laughs> uh, Roger and I started the pod back in 2016, and that was a year that, although it had, you know, a big trough kind of in the early season uh, mm-hmm. really was exciting towards the end. And there was a little bit of optimism still going into that off season. Uh, but the last it's been, I don't know, pretty, pretty bleak 18 months or so. Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, it's, it's almost for me, at least it's gotten to the point where 2015, you know, sports wise, you know, personal life wise, career wise, 2015 was 
like one of the better years I've ever experienced, especially with sports and the Mets. And but looking back on it now, it no longer even brings me joy to look back on the run of the 2015 Mets. Now it just hurts even more because I know that they didn't, they didn't get back. They didn't, yeah. they didn't pull off what the Royals did. You know, they didn't pull off, you know, what some of these other teams do when they lose the year before and then they come back and, you know, they didn't get back. They got to the wild card game, which was, you know, nice, but you know, they lost everybody. We all know how they lost that game. And then, it looks like they're heading to, I mean, they've been pretty irrelevant for the last two years. And by the time they make the playoffs again, by the time they probably have another championship window, it's likely going to be a a completely different group of guys. There's already most of the guys from that run are already gone anyways. So yeah, I don't know. Looking back at 2015 was awesome at the time and it looked like the beginning of something, but it really kind of just seems like, it's also the end. Yeah. And sports-wise, that kind of hurts to to think about it because especially because they were the better team in that World Series. They just they gave it away. It is it is a bummer. Do you do you follow yeah. other sports or are you purely a baseball guy? Baseball is my biggest, but I am a NFL fan and an NBA fan. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good for you. Hockey, at least you have, yeah, some other teams have a chance of winning. No. <laughs> see, that's, that's the problem. Is you Knicks? Knicks and Jets. Oh my God, Knicks Opti- and I, Jets. Yeah. Optimistic about the Jets moving forward. Yes, but I'm. I mean, the track record has been bad. That's pretty brutal, man. <laughs> yeah. So there's not. You know, this year I feel like they'll be better, but there's not much solace at the moment yeah well so one of the bummers about i suppose having the the mets podcast thing for the last couple years is that you know i want to talk about good stuff i want to talk about the historic season that degrom is having i want to talk about the emergence of jeff mcneil i want to talk about you know other you know good happy developments the fact that conforto looks better again but at the same time you know if you if you're a smart fan if you're plugged in if you're really paying attention like like you are uh, it's hard to discuss any of this stuff without feeling like there is like a, a, a pall over all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just been messy. I think is probably the best word dysfunctional. Uh, I mean, it's always kind of been like this, even when they're good, there's just always something going on. It's, you, you know, you're, half the time you're not even talking about what's happening on the field. You're talking about managerial decisions or what's going on in the front office or the owner is not spending money or the owner's butting into personnel decisions or Jose Reyes and this and that and prospects not developing and all of these things. And it gets kind of muddled and exhausting and, you get kind of dizzy and you're like, what is going on here? Is this, this is the baseball team, right? Yeah. And that's a bummer. And I think Mets mm-hmm. fans get a bad reputation for this. Like Mets, like people are like, Oh, Mets fans are always so dramatic and so negative. Uh, I mean, but come on, look at the track record of things. Like we're, w- did we seem like a particularly negative or unfair fan base when the Mets were winning? Like, yes. And no, I mean, I'll, I'll say it this way. I mean, one, all fan bases are crazy. Like 
it just that's just the way it is. You have to be to be into sports. You have to be a little bit nuts. Uh, <laughs> Mets, Mets fans, I think in particular, are like a little bit crazier than other fan base, just because it's New York. You know, you you know Yankee fans are the same way. It's just the Yankees have been good for my entire life, so it's a little less negative it's just but it's still dramatic you know new york fans are dramatic you know yeah they were 11 to 1 you know 95 percent of people were losing their minds in the best way possible you know 2015 you know people were going nuts when they were good they'd have one bad week and oh, they're collapsing it's 2007 Wait, so all over again maybe maybe you can give a little perspective on this uh given the fact that you are not geographically in new york anymore Yes, I am in Ohio now. Right. Now, I don't know how much of your, of your private life you, you want to share, but if you do feel like it, you can tell us, you know, what kind of, what, what are you seeing from the fans nearby where you are? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really see that many baseball fans around. I'm, so I'm in, for the majority of this people listening to this podcast, I'm sure they have zero idea the geographical layout of the state of Ohio. So I'll just put it this way. Uh, I'm in Columbus. That is in the center of the state. Cleveland's about two and a half hours to the north. Cincinnati's about an hour and a half to the south of me. So I'm like smack dab in the middle. I don't see that many baseball fans. Mm -hmm. I don't really listen to the local radio. I don't watch the local broadcasts very much. Uh, What market is it? Like more? it's, it's, It's Reds and Indians. Like pretty much half and half? Yeah, there's. You're gonna see more Indians fans because the Indians are up right now and the Reds are down. I'm sure. I'm sure it's probably a balance, though. You know, if the Reds were good, I think there'd be a lot more Red fans around. It's just kind of how it works. And so it goes. Right. So I haven't watched. I can't say I've watched a ton of Indians baseball because while they've been pretty good this year. they're playing in the worst division of baseball, so there really is, hasn't been any intrigue with them in terms of me going out of my way to watch them on TV. So it's kind of hard to tell. I know them from their broadcast, obviously, because I was at MLB for three years, so I watched every broadcast for every night for three years. I mean, you're, you're in the market of the guy who might be the potential MVP this year, Jose Ramirez, mm-hmm. who yeah, I didn't even know like won't be, thing but... until two years ago. I was like, who is this guy? That that guy is a monster. It's also such a generic name. It's like hysterical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's a beast. I am uh, a not super long car ride away from Matt Harvey. Oh, nice. Though I haven't, you know, I haven't made that trek to Great American Ballpark this year. It probably won't. (laughs) Yeah, listen, you just uh, go to like the the one club in Cincinnati. I'm sure you're gonna find (laughs) him. But he's – I'm closer to him now than where he was at the beginning of the season. Right. So, he's I mean, funny. yeah, it's kind of – it's 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 hard to gauge for me. Just, you know, it's not like I know that many people out here, so I'm not hanging out a lot. Uh, but it's definitely a different vibe, and I'm sure it'd be different if I was actually in Cleveland compared to, you know, just in the same state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, there's no other – fan bases like new york new york is its own thing for good and bad that's exactly what i was gonna say i mean you know you take the good with the bad when you're here it's mm-hmm. i think the most passionate interested involved you know the talk radio is insane of course and the back pages oh, are gosh. insane but ultimately i think it, it nets out because you have listen you have six mets blogs 
<laughs> essentially with passionate, crazy lunatic fans that know the ins and outs of every, you know, batting average from 1984 and mm-hmm. war from this year and VORP and, and everything else. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've tried looking up blogs of other teams. I've tried to see like, hey, are there, are there interesting writers for the, you know, the Reds or the, the, the Rangers or whoever? And you actually really can't find it. It's definitely a lot more scarce. I think it's just, yeah, I mean, I think that there's more fans of these bigger market teams, obviously. I mean, just mathematically, it makes sense. Geographically, it makes sense. Uh, and yeah, I just think that, the, you know, I'm not saying they're more knowledgeable, but they're definitely more passionate. And I think, especially with the way, you know, if anyone who's lived in New York knows, you know, you're in New York, you're always multitasking. You're like <laughs> yeah. Work or on the train or, you know, walking to get coffee. You're always doing two, three, four things at once. And I think that that goes the same with people who write. You know, I a lot of people writing in New, in New York writing about the Mets are working their day job and writing about the Mets on the side. They might be writing somewhere else too. And, you know, it's just, it's just kind of how it is. So – Speaking of the Mets being in a big market, an intense market that demands a lot, I think that might be a decent segue to uh, the article that I wanted to talk to you about that you wrote for Baseball Prospectus. And unfortunately, this interview is going to have to be kind of short because of the <laughs> the tech issues that I experienced. <laughs> and the knock on wood, hopefully this records at all. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about the invention of lying, which you wrote for, mm. for BP uh, about two weeks ago. Sure. Uh, it was, first of all, it was, it was well-written, like all the stuff that you write. Um, you know, some people get the concepts and, and can't write well, and uh, you do both. Uh, you both get it and you write well. Uh, and you, um, you really were, you, you pulled no punches in describing uh, it, what, in your opinion, has been going on with the Mets the last couple of years and the way that they've essentially been uh, – Spreading misinformation this is a quote, uh, spreading information, or as it should be more bluntly put, flat out lies on a routine basis. So what, what are you talking about what the article is about and, and uh, what you, uh, what the, what the thesis is? Sure. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, I mean, as you brought it up earlier, I, you know, I write primarily about the Mets for uh, baseball perspectives is Mets website, just BP Mets. And as opposed to writing apps or daily or weekly articles, I kind of reserve uh, my articles for longer editorial things that I think need to get a little bit deeper, deep dives kind of thing. Right. And uh, yeah, I just, so sometimes I'll go a couple of weeks or even a couple of months without writing anything just because if there's nothing to say, I don't really force myself to try to say something. I just kind of let it be and wait for the right moment to talk about something. And this year has been one of those kind of years where there's, there's a lot to say and then there's nothing to say. And earlier in the year, I was writing a lot more. You know, I wrote about how, you know, maybe the Mets were for real when they got off to that star. And obviously that looks really foolish now. And, I wrote an article defending Matt Harvey when everyone was getting on him because it was just something that I was passionate about and didn't think that people were uh, talking about in the right way. And, you know, I wrote about 
the front office failures as things devolved. And then I kind of took a while where I just sat back. I wasn't watching games that much. You know, I was following everything, but, you know, there was just wasn't a ton to talk about. But as the weeks went on and the Mets kept losing and things kept getting worse, I just started to become more and more frustrated, not, mm-hmm. not even with the baseball being played, but just the way that the team was conducting themselves, the way that uh, Mickey Calloway was lying to the media, I believe, on multiple occasions, you know, the way that John Rico is in his very brief, limited conversations with the media, how he has lied. And I, how I believe that most of these, most, if not all of these lies are coming up from the Wilpons and ownership and just kind of how that was happening. And also a little bit how I felt like they were getting away with it because I didn't think that uh, certain reporters were pressing them enough on them, on these things. I just thought that the Mets were kind of saying things like Jeff McNeil can't play any position besides second base or that Reyes has played third base really, really well, uh, or, you know, we're going to eat money at the trade deadline and then they ate no money at the trade deadline. Right. There wasn't really many follow-ups, follow-up questions being asked. There wasn't really being much pushing back. Yeah. And th- those were the three examples that I highlight- highlighted too here about yeah. Mc- McNeil and Reyes and the salary. But it's kind of yeah, those are just to, the big ones. Yeah, what do you expect – uh, what what can we expect from the beat writers, right? So mm-hmm. just to recap what happened with McNeil, they said they said McNeil can't come up because he can't play third base. Yep. But then it turns out that McNeil had played something like 20, 25 games at third base uh, in the minor leagues in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 48% of McNeil's minor league appearances came at positions that weren't second base, so basically half. right. <laughs> and then beyond that, the Mets then started putting Jose Bautista or whoever else in the world at third base while McNeil mm-hmm. still toiled away in the minor leagues. Yep. So there was no, there was no immediate follow-up on it. And then even after you know the beat and everybody else got the chance to go home and look at their notes and say, huh, I wonder if that was honest or not, uh, there was no you know, follow-back. Uh, the next week or the week after that to go, you know, remember that thing you said about McNeil not being able to play third? You know, can you elaborate on that? Because as it turns out, he does. So they're they're sort of skating on Mm -hmm. on a lot of those things. So you've um, felt it necessary to point that out. Yeah, and you know, and I pointed out in the article that it's not as easy as just saying, you know, why isn't this reporter asking this question, berating them uh, constantly? It's not that easy because if we're going to be completely fair about it, these are people that they have to deal with every single day. It's, you know, it's not asking questions behind a keyboard. These are people that they know. There are situations where Mets PR people can and will, you know, call people's editors and get, access revoked or just stop answering their questions and things can get awkward. So I, I do understand that aspect of it. And I think that it's important to note that when talking about this, but at the same time there, there was just, I, I felt there was more 
more that could have been done because I just didn't feel like really anything was being done to combat yeah. some of the things they were saying. You know, occasionally a writer would ask, you know, why is race playing, which is a completely valid question. It's something that fans have been... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. It's something that fans have been asking on Twitter all year. But then when Callaway would say, well, I think race has played well at third base, when he clearly hasn't by any defensive metric, let alone all of his horrific offensive numbers, uh, that would just kind of be the end of it and we'd move on to the next thing. And I know that you're not going to, pro- you're probably not going to entrap Mickey Calloway, you know, get him in a corner and admit that the Will Ponds or somebody else is making him play Jose Reyes. That's not going to happen. I just feel like you need to push these guys more on their statements. If they're going to lie, at least don't make it so easy on yeah. them. You know, what's interesting too is that you know, 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, and probably 10 years ago, uh, the average fan doesn't ever realize that those are lies. Yeah. Like, we live in an era now that's completely unprecedented in, in, in the course of human history, uh, which is important stuff, but also baseball history, which is silly. Uh, you know, the grown men in pajamas hitting the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is incredibly frustrating and discouraging. Uh, I mean, I'm a... I'm a huge fan you're a huge fan we follow the team closely watch most games read and think about them a lot and just to feel like wow you are being lied to all the time and you have all the tools available to you to to know that at any given time is really frustrating yeah and you know you're right because when Mickey Callaway says, you know, Jose Reyes has played well for third base, within 35 seconds, I can be on fan graphs looking at his defensive metrics. You know, I couldn't, you couldn't do that back in the day. You know, if, you know, whoever their manager was at the time said, you know, Bobby Bonilla is playing a great third base, I wouldn't yeah. have the access or tools to look that up and check them on it. I would just kind of have to take it for what it was. Right and believe what they said, but that's not, you know, that's not the way things are anymore. And so I think that it's more evident when people are lying. And I think it's more important that these people who are saying these things get uh, checked or rebuffed on what they're saying, just because, you know, if you're going to lie, if you're going to lie to people who have such access to the information and, can so easily figure out that you're lying to them, then you don't respect them. And I think that there's a big issue there. Yeah. And I, I actually, I go two ways on that issue too. Cause on the one hand I think, well, you know what? Like does access even matter? Like are, are we, are we entering an era now where beat reporters don't matter? Right? Like, you know, the market is speaking for itself. Like people like yourself and uh, Michael Mayer and other influential folks on Twitter are doing, you know, becoming more influential. You're getting more followers and more people are reading and getting that direct information without the spin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what is the value of a, of a fabricated quote? Like, what is the value of, of these things coming from the organization when you know they're not true? Um, so I, yeah. I think that's one part of it. But then the other, on the other hand, I think, well, you know, Twitter is also a very small bubble. Just using Twitter as an example, but Twitter mm-hmm. and blogs. Um, you go to your average game, uh, I tell people this story sometimes. I, I was booing Jose Reyes a month ago at the stadium, and <laughs> people did not like it. Yeah. People did not like the booing. They were like, why are you booing Reyes for? And I was like, do you know what he's hitting this year? Do you know he roughed up his wife? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know any of this? 
Yeah, I mean, better that than, you know, all those people in Arizona doing the Jose Jose chant. Yeah, but nobody, nobody has any idea. Like, they were actually like, I can't believe that. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But anyway, I think, I think that maybe we, we may be entering a different time, and I'm not sure um, what information will look like in five years. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any way of knowing how things are going to be in that time. Uh, for sure, just te- technological advances and, you know, what leagues are going to allow and all that, all those kinds of things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still think that 90% of Twitter should never be, you know, people from Twitter should never ever be in a position to actually like ask, you know, Sandy Alderson or Mickey Calloway questions <laughs> because they're just going to curse at them or say something stupid uh, or just embarrassing or whatever. Because, yeah. you know, Twitter etiquette and, you know, actually ask, asking somebody a question to their face and being insightful and not just saying talk about Jose Reyes, you know, actually having a real question, having something to say, you know, there's still value there. And, um, yeah, so I don't think beat writers are going to go away. I mean, they they may decrease in numbers as, you know, newspapers continue to slowly disintegrate and the athletic hires every person on the face of the earth. But I'm into uh, that idea. <laughs> Keep going. I, guys. I think for the, I think for the most part, you know, you couldn't just have anybody asking these questions, anybody dealing with, you know, management and players and everything, because oh, there is, listen, there is a level that's of not to, That's not to say, I don't think that they're doing the best that they can or that they're very talented or, you know, doing good jobs. It's just, they're, they're put in a difficult position, I think. Oh, they are. And, and I, it should be noted that the, you know, I did include it in the article and I do think that it's an issue. And I think that it's actually, and I'm, I'm absolutely not going to take credit for this. I think that would be completely ludicrous, but I do think, in the past couple of weeks, there has been a little more pushing back than what we've seen before. I know Howard Magdal specifically uh, asked to his face, uh, Mickey Calloway, if the Wilpons were making Reyes play. He wrote an article about that for Deadspin. Yeah, how uh, did he get back in the clubhouse? <laughs> I did, did, I don't, somebody I don't get fired know, for that it, or what? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's prob- it would probably be tough for him to get another question out if I had to imagine. Yeah. 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 But I know, yeah. Howard uh, asked that question and wrote a great piece for dead spin. There's been a few more instances where I've seen on Twitter, just where a a reporter will say something that Callaway or the front office had said earlier that week or the week before, and then kind of uh, point out how they're contradicting that with their actions I don't have a specific example offhand, but you know, it's something just like, oh, they said they'd be playing more young players, but you know, Jose Bautista and Austin Jackson and you know, this guy and that guy and Reinheimer or whoever are on the starting lineup. And you know, so there's been more instances of that. And I think that that's positive. Uh, it's not going to stop the Mets from lying, but I just think that pointing out these falsehoods or lies or the misinformation. Yep. I do think it's important. And I think that we're seeing a little more of it now than we were seeing before. And it's a shame too. Like it's a shame that like the Reyes and Bautista and Austin Jackson 
frustration that we're feeling. I, I feel like it's overshadowing. First of all, it's, it's bad baseball, right? It's yes. bad decision-making because we should be taking a look at guys who could be helping next year. But it's also taking away the chance for you know, there to be good stories about these guys. Like I would much mm-hmm. rather have a positive story about a bad team. I'd, love, I'd much rather see you know, Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith and Peter Alonzo get a chance to succeed and like read mm-hmm. about them and, and try to put a positive spin on, wow, Corey Oswald, he's really had a, had yeah. a fine, fine year this year. But yeah, I, de- I desperately want to talk out. about Jeff McNeil. <laughs> they're, but they're taking the oxygen out of the room by keeping playing. It's almost like a troll job. Like they just play Reyes and Bautista and these guys every day. Yeah. And but all right, let's, let's get your thoughts on McNeil and then I, um, I'll let you go. Okay. Um, but McNeil is having a heck of a year, isn't he? I am, I am pleasantly, I don't, I don't, I don't know if surprise is the right, right word, but I am, I am happy with, uh, what we've seen currently from Jeff McNeil, uh, as you said before, we were recording this in the middle of the Met game. I'm pretty sure it's got to be over by now unless they blew it. Nope. Yeah, it's uh, over. Okay. Yeah. So he went four for four tonight uh, with an RBI. So he's, act- he's now had exactly 100 plate appearances in the major leagues, and he's hitting 326 uh, with a 472 slugging. He's striking out 10% of the time, and he's got a WRC plus, weighted runs created plus, of 137. So, obviously, it's 100 plate appearances on a bad team in late August. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> so, you know, big grain of salt. It would, However, it would be the kind of performance that you could more easily discard if he wasn't doing it for 400 at-bats in the minor leagues before now. Right, and everywhere they've called him up to, he's hit. And right now, he's hitting in the major leagues. There will be a time where he slumps because, one, every baseball player in the history of the sport has slumped. And two, major league pitchers will adjust to him at some point because that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, however, at the moment, I'm pleasantly surprised. I am enjoying the way he's playing. He's been a little bright spot for a team that really only has probably four or five bright spots and a whole lot of dark. Uh, so I'm excited about him. You know, I'm excited about DeGrom. I'm excited yeah, man. About- Listen, he's got a, a 182 weighted runs created plus in double A, a 164 weighted runs created plus in triple A, and now a 137 in the major leagues, which is almost kind of what you would get if you put his numbers into a major league equivalence in C calendar. Uh, calendar. Right. You know, like it's pretty much what you'd expect. Yeah, and I know that this – I know the comparison has kind of been thrown around a lot, even when he was still in the minors, but uh, I don't know. He's kind of reminding me of like young Daniel Murphy, where he just kind of puts the ball on play. Um, you know, he hits the ball in the gap. He makes contact a lot. You know, that early, you know, everybody, whenever really thinks about Daniel, yeah, when everybody thinks about Daniel Murphy now, they think about 2015, they think about what he's done in the Mets since, you know, hitting 25 homers a year, 100 RBIs you know, batting 340. But, I mean, for seven years, Daniel Murphy was a completely different hitter. If you try to think back to, you know, September 2008, Daniel Murphy, the rookie who almost helped the Mets get to the playoffs, is a guy that just, you know, had limited ability physically, but, you know, hustled, played hard, hit the ball into the gaps, you know, put the ball in play. Uh, He kind of reminds me, 
of a young Daniel Murphy. He looks like he's a little better defensively. It's kind of hard to judge this early. Mm-hmm. Um, but, he, yeah, he kind of reminds me of a little more a young fundamental Murphy. Yeah, in, in terms of, of Mets, Mets comps, I think Murphy yeah. is the way to go. I am positive, though, that there's got to be somebody on the Cardinals, the stupid Cardinals, that, that had a player just like McNeil. Because he, he seems like a Cardinal to me. He's like somebody he who does. comes up at 26 and is awesome for a while. And you're like, who the hell is this guy? Do I even bother learning his name or do I just right. – well, The <laughs> like, thing with all these guys with the Cardinals is the, the Cardinals will have this guy for like a year, maybe two years, use him up. And then he'll be gone, and then you'll forget about him for the rest of forever. It happens constantly. Um, he's having, he's actually having a pretty good bounce back here in Oakland right now. But you know, Stephen Piscotty. Oh, uh, Piscotty's uh, a great example. Jeremy Hazelbaker, uh, Ledmus Diaz. Yeah, Matt Carpenter was a guy who did that initially. He was yeah, a really nobody coming right? through the minors. Uh, but they didn't get rid of him, and he's you know he's blowing up. He's having an insane year. Uh, Tommy Pham was great for a year and then yeah there's always someone he's on the raise now randall grishik yeah that's baseball susan uh there's a couple other very recent cardinals but i can't think of them but you know even even jed jerko kind of had his most productivity uh with the cardinals but yeah i think he's still there well listen rich i this has been a great interview far too short and i hope and pray um to the higher powers that be to Nelson Doubleday <laughs> to MLB Jesus that yes. people hear it. Um, Me too. Well, one oh, last last thought from you. Uh, if you have a Cy Young vote, who does it go to? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's much of a question here. Uh, it's Jacob Degrom. He's got a better ERA by like a half a run. He's got a better FIP. He's got a better XFIP. He's got a better adjusted ERA. You know, he's like eight innings, six innings behind Scherzer. Just you know, I, I think start. the race is not between DeGrom and Scherzer, personally. I, I don't think the public Nola's, opinion has Scherzer I think in it. that Nola's there, but I think that Scherzer is the second best at the moment. Well, Nola, Nola leads in, uh, in war. Uh, Scherzer? No, Nola does. Nola leads Scherzer, I'm saying? Yeah, he, he leads everybody in the, the baseball prospectus version of war. Or, uh, sorry, war and uh, war. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting the way you look at it, uh, war, how sometimes it's very different depending on where you look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it should be interesting, and it's going to give us something to watch down the stretch for, at least, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, he's, he's really fun to watch, and I think for a while it wasn't fun to watch him because despite him being so good, they would just lose every single time. And it actually got to the point where I hated <laughs> Jacob deGrom starts. Because, it was a story that overshadowed his excellence. Right. And it was just frustrating, but now he's won three starts in a row. They've, they have, you know, they're not good, but they have played better baseball over the last month. Um, so they're just, they're not as on the field, at least they're not as horrific as, they were for a while. So I think that DeGrom is the biggest bright spot. Like I was talking about, there's only a couple of them. Uh, DeGrom's the biggest. McNeil's a bright spot. Uh, the evolution of Zach Wheeler is a huge bright spot, in my opinion. And then the other bright spot is Brandon Nimmo, but he's on the DL. So there's like three bright spots. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, and, certainly, yes. certainly enough here to build the team around if there was uh, a real payroll and competent leadership. But there is not, so. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll on see. that lively note, uh, yes. actually, are you going to be uh, catching a game or coming back east before the end of the year? Um, I have a bachelor party and a wedding that I have to be attending in the fall, but I probably will not a t- be. A Tyler bachelor party? Oh, we can't. We can't do this. <laughs> uh, that's that. I will credit you that it was quick, but it was still bad. Yeah, very uh, bad. <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back east in little spurts in September and October uh, before the holidays, but I probably will not be venturing to City Field. Probably a wise choice. Uh, I, I'm going to amend that. I will definitely not be at City Field for the rest of this year. <laughs> okay, so. Rich McLeod, thank you for coming on. Thank you, thank you for your your technical expertise. Uh, yes. Regardless of whether or not it works, I do appreciate the effort. And uh, thanks for showing me your good fundies today. Absolutely. And one last final thing, and I'm just yes. we don't have to delve into it. I just want to shout it out before we cut off because it's important. Uh, hey, Mets, stop messing with Dominic Smith and just playing with first base. You're being stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> True that. And that okay. was Rich McLeod. Thanks, Rich. Hopefully, Thank you. Hopefully that was Rich McLeod. It might not have been Mitch, Rich McLeod. It might have just been a bunch of dead air. Um, I'm not going to know until after I record this. So I guess we are, are going to have to use our imaginations here. But what is not imagination, ladies and gentlemen, is that I'm going to open the Good Fundies mailbag. That's right. For the first time, In about a month, we are going to reach into the mailbag to uh, letters, tweets, uh, etc., love notes from our our loving fans, uh, those of you who have supported us for so long. And actually, this reminds me, I didn't put this in my little agenda that I made for myself, but I I sent a message out to all of the Good Fundies Patreon subscribers uh, about two weeks ago before I went away. And I wanted to let people know, um, and thank you to the thousand plus of you who tuned into the last episode and thank you to the and i kid you not literally four or five dozen 60 or 70 people who have reached out to me both on my personal account and on the good fundies account to say um that not only do you want me to continue doing the podcast but that you also are willing to help that you are willing to do tech stuff um hint hint i might need some tech help uh, but that you're, you're willing to do graphic design, that you want to do tweets, that you want to write. Um, it's really touching that the Good Fundies project that Roger and I started has reached so many people and has touched so many people and that uh, you guys feel not only that you want it to continue, but that you feel some ownership of it. And that was always part of my vision for this. Um, Roger's vision, which I fully, completely endorse, is that he always wanted... Rolling Stone, uh, that Good Fundies to be the Rolling Stone uh, of the Mets, uh, kind of off-color uh, articles, uh, kind of edgy, kind of interesting, uh, different angle than than everybody else would give you. As for me, I always wanted Good Fundies to be uh, the Gorilla Radio. I wanted it to be by fans and for fans. Uh, we've seen some other blogs that started off independently and they were purchased, and you know that's fine, good for them, making a living. Uh, and other ones where they they flip, they decide they're gonna uh, you know get purchased by a larger entity, and they're gonna load things up with ads, and they're gonna do clickbait, or they're gonna do 
some other partnerships with the Mets where they can no longer be independent. And my vision was that we are always, always, always going to be completely honest. We don't depend on access for our news. Uh, we know the statistics. We get the public quotes. We know what's going on. We very often have people reach out to us, you know, and we never report, uh, you know, inside information, but sometimes you do get tips and things like that from the org uh, before they're made public. The thing is, we always wanted to retain that independent bent. So be that Rolling Stone, you know, run exposés, tell it like it is, and kind of represent the voice of the fans. And that's, that's something that I think we've accomplished over the last couple of years. But, uh, as I said, I reached out to folks about two weeks ago uh, to let them know that things were going to be different. So even though I do intend on continuing this project, I don't know whether or not, um, I, I don't know how often podcasts are going to come out. I don't know how often we're going to get written content. Uh, even though we do have uh, some funds in the uh, Good Fundies GoFundMe, as I like to call it, Uh you know, I'm not, I haven't been able to reach out to the people who've offered help yet to engage them to actually do that. Now, we are going to continue. We are going to continue writing. I'm going to continue doing a podcast every other week. That's the plan. Uh, but I wanted to give every single person uh, a reminder, go check your Patreon. Make sure that it's at a level you feel comfortable with. Um, you may have decided something a year ago when there was a lot more content and you went, excuse me, you might want to change it for now. So um, I will remind everybody one more time. And for those of you who got the message and you said, you know what? No, I'm still going to support these guys. I want them to have uh, these funds to continue engaging good writers and having people tweet and generating good content. Um, we pay our writers. This is something that we've always been proud of too. Every article that you've ever seen on goodfundies.com that is not by me or Roger is uh, a piece of paid work. So that's something that we, that we really enjoy and we value about that being a part of our brand. So without any further ado, I'm going to go into the mailbag and I'm going to read a couple questions from folks who are, you know, some are Patreons. Um, and if you're not, that's totally okay. But I just always want to express my gratitude for the folks who have helped to uh, make this fan-centered uh, vision into a reality. So... The first question is from Mike Trainer, who is exactly one of those people. Mike Trainer says, Hello, Brian, ghost of Roger Cormier and guests. Good fundies to you guys. Glad you guys are back. I'm going to be going to cooking class for my mom's birthday, and hopefully I don't stick my ass in the pot. And then in parenthetical, he goes, Yes, I know, jackpot. Anyway, two questions. Number one, Jeff McNeil has impressed with his bat early on. What is his role for next season? Is he the second base answer, a utility bat, or other? Now, wouldn't you have loved to see Jeff Neal, uh, Jeff McNeil <laughs> up in the major leagues before, you know, two weeks ago? Uh, he's got 100 plate appearances. Right on the nose after tonight, after a 4-for-4 four four performance tonight, he's had 100 plate appearances. He's hitting 326. His weighted runs created is 137. The dude has been an above-average bat. He's been a good defender, and he's been a great base runner. Um... He's the real deal. And, you know, he had injury problems in the past. So you, you hesitate to pencil a guy like that in uh, for a starting role next year. But when, you, when you're putting your team together, not every position is going to be uh, manned by a guy who is a sure thing. And what the, what the Mets have in McNeil is they have, in my opinion, it looks like a player who's good enough to be a starter, 
uh, at that position on a first division team. So you take that and you put it in your pocket and you build around it. And you, when you, you know, have limited funds to invest, you invest them in other places that, that could probably use more help. So yeah, I do think that he's a second base answer. Um, I also think that the Mets are going to, and I think this might go to a question in the future. I do think the Mets are going to tender Wilmer Flores a contract next year. So if they have an answer at first, um, whether or not they bring somebody in or if Peter Alonso comes up and grab, grabs the reins, uh, Flores could be a very, very formidable platoon partner at first and second next year. And that's exactly the kind of situation uh, that a winning team would want to make. Because as you've seen from this year, Wilmer can really, really step in and he can start and not kill you for a couple weeks or a month or even more at a particular position. So that's that's a nice situation to be in. The Mets have done everything in their power to make it worse. But thank God, so far, Jeff McNeil has been the answer at second base. And I feel comfortable saying that. Question two. Crystal Ball. Do you see the Mets keeping the starting rotation together or making trades? If they do, in my opinion, they need to make a big splash, and Manny Machado would be priority one. With DeGrom, Wheeler, and Syndergaard rapidly approaching free agency in the next one to two seasons, a big splash would be needed. Or do they blow it up and rebuild? Well, it's really a tough question. Uh, Honestly, uh, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, uh, the Mets needed to take their medicine before now. They needed to trade at the deadline and rebuild because they're not going to be competitive next year with this core unless things go listen you can't say anything for sure because baseball is one of those sports where uh you can get lucky you can get a guy here or there suddenly somebody turns into a super superstar and your team looks completely different but the high percentage guess at this point would be that even with Degrom pitching like the best pitcher on the planet Wheeler and Syndergaard both pitching incredibly well uh this team is not even a 500 team so you know standing pat and hoping they could add one or two players and become a playoff team seems kind of like a, a strong um a strong leap of faith <laughs> for me what they're going to do is a, a far different question i've been hearing rumors recently that they're going to move Cindergard. uh the the people who are in the know uh those folks seem to think that there's a chance that they can move Cindergard. Uh, and get a really good package of prospects in return. If so, um, you know, they're... Listen, if they if they trade Syndergaard away and they get back an equivalent package of prospects, the team isn't going to be better. The team is also not going to be cheaper because Syndergaard is not one of their high-priced pi- high guys yet. So uh, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and what they would have to do ultimately is they'd have to spend money or find a way to get some money off the books and then spend that money. So we <laughs> truly shall see what happens. Um, they've they've charted their course for now. They kept Degrom, they kept Syndergaard, they kept Wheeler. Uh, they've decided to roll with what they have, and it will be up to them very soon to make that decision. Next question is from Chris Irvine. Hey Brian, great to hear that you're back. Thanks, Chris. Do you see a roster spot for Wilmer Flores next year? Now, that was the question I was thinking of. As much as I love him, he seems like he might be the odd man out. If I'm fantasy GM, my infield is probably Alonzo, McNeil, Rosario, Frazier, with maybe TJ and Gourmet on the bench. If he has no place, who would be a good trade fit and what do you get in return? And do you think they might try and trade him before the end of the month? Now, that 
is something that the Mets could actually do if the Mets are going to be proactive. Uh, even though Wilmer Flores is one of my favorite players on the current roster, he's hitting well enough, and he's not going to be particularly cheap next year. Uh, one of the great things about the Mets is that they've burned through all of Wilmer Flores' uh, arbitration years without ever finding out if he's a major league starter at any given position. Uh, they tried him at short, then third, then second, then all of them, then first. Uh, they've even tried him in the outfield, but they've never given him a real run at a position to see what they've got. With that said, uh, he's the kind of player who could really, really help a team who's in the race right now. So if he gets through waivers... Uh, I haven't checked on his status on that yet, but if he gets through waivers, uh, the Mets could move him for a prospect that might help next year. Uh, as for Chris's mention of TJ, you guys might not even remember who that is because it's been about a year. Uh, that's TJ Rivera, who had Tommy John surgery, and uh, I haven't heard the first word about him. Uh, he was supposed to be back on the team, I think, in May or June. He obviously has not returned. So we, we will see. Um, I'm loath to, to count on a guy who's returning from injury on, uh, for anything, uh, but it would certainly be nice to have him back. And Alonzo, McNeil, Rosario, Frazier, infield, with a backup of TJ and Flores would be pretty darn good, if you ask me. But we'll see. Next question is from at McPhil. Hi, Phil here. So when is Jose Reyes going to come on the podcast? I'm very interested to hear him talk about baseball and other off-the-field activities. Phil. Uh, I think I, I mentioned this in the past. Jose Reyes used to follow me on Twitter, which was a real uh, feather in my cap. I was excited about that. But apparently when you shit-talk somebody for two years straight, uh, sometimes they see it and they block you. So that's what happened to me. So I feel like Jose, dearest Jose, is not going to be coming on the pod anytime soon. Next question is from Titus underscore Willis. And this is one of my favorite questions that we ask every year when the Mets are out of the race, which is unfortunately too often. But Titus asks, what team in contention should Mets fans pull for? I'm probably going with the Cubs, especially since they have Murph now. That's interesting. Uh, I didn't think any Mets fan would... <laughs> say that they were more likely to root for a team because that team has Daniel Murphy. Uh, I like the Cubs. I've always liked the Cubs. Uh, I've also always liked Murphy. I would never, have never, and would never blame a player for uh, leaving the Mets when the Mets don't even bother to offer him a contract. As for which team to root for, I'm loving the A's right now. The, the Oakland Athletics and their incredible uh, run from, I think they were, they were under 500. They were 11 games behind the Mariners to now have come up and actually tied the Astros. Uh, it's been an incredible race in the AL West, and they're a cool story to watch. Uh, they also have Familia, which helps. They also have Chris Davis, who's been who's been fantastic. The, the good Chris Davis, not the, the bad Chris Davis. Um, the other teams, you know, the, the National League, uh, pretty unpersuasive outside of the NL East. Uh, and of course, with the the Phillies and the Braves, I mean, it's like, you know, pick your poison with those guys. I'm not really sure who I would be pulling for in that scenario. I think probably the Phillies, but it's hard to say. Uh, and then in the American League, uh, the the Red Sox have won pretty recently. They're also one of the big Evil Empire teams, and the Yankees, the heck with them. So it really looks to me like the the Astros, the Indians, the A's. And probably from the National League, I think probably the Brewers. I'm not sure how they're doing right now, but 
I will check in. Finally, last question is from at uh, on Twitter at Ernest Dove. Uh, Ernest is another longtime friend of the podcast, uh, and he asks, "Will there be a video or audio tribute to Roger?" Um, I, I think if tonight uh, was any guide on that question, uh, even if I intended to do such a thing, it would probably not work. So uh, I don't think there will be a video tribute anytime soon. An audio tribute. I kind of like to think that every episode will be an audio tribute, uh, but that's just me. So like I mentioned at the outset, it's been an incredibly interesting couple weeks in Mets baseball. They managed to find a way to keep things interesting uh, and dramatic even, uh, even though they're 15 games out of first place and it's the middle of August in the second year in a row where they're no good. So uh, I will keep watching. I think I will probably actually be there this weekend uh, because I can't help it. But, um, you know, I hope that you guys are continuing to watch and I hope that you're, or if you are watching, that it is a positive thing that you enjoy and you're not just doing it out of habit. I'll put it to you that way. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, This is, again, this is Brian Mangan. And uh, you've guys got good fundies. I'll see you next week.